We are in Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. And I want to look again just at verse 1. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So when he first calls Abram, Abram has no idea where he's going. He said, You go forth to the land which I will show you. He didn't know where he was going. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abraham, Abram set out from a land to a land that he did not know. He didn't know where he was going at first. So if you want God to sort of reveal to you all the things that you should do in life, who should I marry, who should... All at once, like now, you're not going to get it. All right? He gives to us little by little. He did the same with Abram. And I want you to remember that Abram came from a house, a household of idol worshippers, people who had worshipped idols. And we looked at that previously. And that's in in Joshua 24, verse 2. It says, uh, Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your fathers lived beyond the river, namely Terah, the father of Abram and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. So Abram came from a house where they had formerly uh, uh, worshipped idols. So you may think, you know, I, I don't come from the greatest family. Well, neither did Abram. Abram came from a family that was actually idol worshippers. They actually set up idols and worshipped them. That's the background that he had come from. So if you think you came from you know, some difficult background that wasn't particularly faithful to God, well, welcome to the background of these great men of faith, like Abram. Okay, now we're going to start reading from verse 4 of of Genesis chapter 12. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Then then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. And he pitched his tent with with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, and, and continuing toward the Negev. Okay, so we'll stop right there. Let's go back up to verse 4. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Look at that. The Lord spoke to him to leave the land he was in, which was in Haran. So Haran was, was, uh, was up here. This is Damascus, this is Syria. So Haran is up in this region, and he's going to come down, and he's going to settle. Uh, uh, so he, so he'll, he'll come down, and so just, just to give us a, a place of, of where this is, this is Jerusalem down here. This is Shechem. So he first sets up camp right here, just, just to the, the, uh, 
just to the east of Shechem. This is Shechem, so he sets up camp here. And then he's going to move down, and he's going to be right between Bethel and Ai. So this is Bethel, this is Ai, and he's going to be right between here. So if, if you look at this legend, this is 20 miles. So the distance that he traveled was maybe 100 miles south, 100, 120 miles to Shechem. Sets up just, just to the east of Shechem. And then it goes down and he says he's to the east of, east of Bethel, to the west of Ai. And so you see this is the, the, the distance between these two cities is less than a mile between them. He's right between there where he sets up his second camp. And then it says, then he goes down to the south, into the Negev. The Negev is the southern region of Israel. And Beersheba is the area that he actually ends up setting up camp. This area way down here in Beersheba. All right? So actually, actually, uh, uh, there's a university down here, the Beersheba, uh, uh, Ben-Gurion University. And uh, uh, been there many times. And then there's a, there's a research station down here in the south uh, actually, it's, it's about down here, and it's in the middle of the desert. That's where they do all their, their uh, solar and water research down there. So we have a big collaboration going with them. Okay, so that's, that gives you a perspective on the map of, of where he was going. But it says, so Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. The key is, Abram went forth as the Lord has spoken to him. That's a big deal. The Lord spoke something to him and he did it. With obedience comes more appearances of the Lord. Lord, why don't you show me, why don't you do this? Well, because I was doing something else in your life and you didn't obey. Just assume you don't like to obey, so why should I bother telling you? With obedience comes more blessing and more uh, fellowship with the Lord. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. There was immediate obedience from Abram. He didn't say, well, you know, um, not a good season to go. No, as soon as the Lord spoke to him, he went. And Lot went with him. Now, for me, one of the hardest things for me is really understanding when the Lord is speaking to me. And one of the things that helps me a lot is the Bible. When the Scriptures speak to me and seem to give me direction, this to me means a lot. If you say, well, well, the Lord spoke to me and He told me this, and the Lord spoke to me and He told me that, that's fine. The Holy Spirit can do that, but you have to be really careful about that because, at least for myself, my own mind has the ability to speak to me. Because sometimes I'm praying, Lord, get me a parking space here. And I'm thinking, okay, around the corner there'll be a parking space. And I turn the corner and there's no parking space. So who was it that spoke to me? It was my own mind that spoke to me. It was not the Lord. Had it been the Lord speaking to me, there would have been a perfect parking space with the meter already paid for <laughs> if it had been the Lord who, who, who really set this up for me. And, and uh, uh, so our minds have, have the ability to speak to us and we can really get confused. I remember just a classic example. I went to, to recruit this guy to work in my group, he and his wife, and, and uh, they were here in town. And he said, no, I'm not going to go and do my PhD. I'm getting my master's. And the Lord told me to go and work for Microsoft. And I said, that's interesting. The Lord told you to go and work for Microsoft. I have never had that clear of a word in my life. But if the Lord told you that, what can I say? You know, if somebody says the Lord told me, it's like, whoa, 
I'll just stay out of your way. I don't want any bolts of lightning to hit me. I mean, the, the Lord told you. Well, the next day he comes to me, he says, I'll work for you. <laughs> but the Lord told you. So, so you see, if you sense the Lord speaking to you, you might not want to say, the Lord told me. You might want to say, I had a thought. Because just in case you're wrong, at least, at least you, you, can, you can back out of that a little bit easier. To walk up to somebody and to say, the Lord told me you should do this. You have to be really careful about it. Now, the Lord can tell somebody a word for somebody else. But the way you express that word to them is something different. So it, you have to be really careful about saying, the Lord said you should do this. You might want to go to them and say, well, you might want to consider doing this. I mean, look at how comfortable that would be in fitting with what the Scriptures seem to talk about. Right? So, so uh, um, But there are things where you can go to somebody and say, the Scriptures say you should not do this. I'll give you a prime example, which I see all the time, because there's so many students that I deal with. And it's when a student tells me that they're interested in somebody, the first thing I ask is, that somebody, do they know the Lord? Do they love Jesus? And, and uh, you've got to be really careful telling me that you're interested in somebody, because I'm going to ask you that question every time. Because the Bible is very specific on that. I mean, it's like as clear as can be. You don't want to be partnered together with somebody who is an unbeliever. And I'm going to ask you that. So don't tell me if you don't want me to ask you that question and you're not sure that that person loves the Lord Jesus. And just that, that you, you know, I'm going to ask you that because I care about you. I really care about you. This is why I ask. Because I've just seen too much trouble. Too much trouble. There are some things that you can say that are very clear in the Scriptures that the Bible talks about. So, for example, if there's a married couple and they say, you know, we feel the Lord directing us to get a divorce, I'm like, I don't understand that. The Bible doesn't direct in that way. You know, so, so, so I can very clearly say, I think you're hearing wrong. Alright? So there are clear things that the Bible tells us. Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Now, some commentators would say he was told to leave his family. But he says it was actually he was told to leave his family in Haran. Any one of his family that wanted to go with him could go. He was told to leave his family in Haran, but those who wanted to go with him, it was to separate him from the family that was there in Haran. If Lot wanted to go with him, and remember, Lot's father had died. We don't know the age of Lot. But Lot's father had already died. We had read about that. His father's name was actually Haran as well. As well. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed for Haran. So this is the first time. Abram's going to hear from the Lord seven times. Seven times the Lord will come and speak specifically to Abram. So remember, Abram lives to, I forget what age, to be like 170 or something. So in almost a hundred years, he hears the Lord seven times. Think about that. So if you should think that you should hear the Lord like every five minutes, a very clear word, 
maybe you're wrong on that. Real clear words, really clear words, don't come every day. Now, yes, the Holy Spirit speaks to us to be kind to people, to be forgiving, that sort of thing. The general sense of things comes every day. But real clear words like this, even in Abram's life, and this guy was amazing. If you go to chapter 11 of Hebrews, it talks about the men and women of faith in that chapter. The men and women of faith in that chapter. For each great man or woman in the Bible, it talks, it gives like one verse. Except for Abraham, it gives like several paragraphs. This guy was amazing. When you look in biblical standards, seven times he hears clearly the Lord's voice. In almost a hundred year period. Think about that. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated, and persons which they had acquired in Haran. So he came with Sarai, his wife, and his nephew, and all their possessions, and all the persons which they had acquired, which were either servants or slaves. <gasps> he was a rich man. Thought rich guys are bad. You know, don't we sort of segment them out these days? Rich guy. One percent. We never had any of this sort of talk a few years ago. Now it's like the big thing. Rich guy, one percent. He's the one percent. God chose somebody who was among the one percent. <gasps> Too bad God didn't know the sensitivities that we have in 2019. Maybe we should teach him about this. The man was rich and he was not an evil man. God called him. Richness does not make a person evil. Many people don't start out rich. They do well in life and not by exploiting others either. They work very, very hard and they become rich. You should aspire to do that. Everyone in this room is entitled, is an entitled individual being in this room compared to the vast majority of people in this world. If you are a student at Rice University, you are really entitled over the vast majority of people in this country and in this world. For every 10 applicants to Rice, only one gets in. So already you've been picked out and hand-selected. And of those 10 applicants, those are usually, you know, some of the better ones in the world that are applying to Rice. We have to be really careful about judging others. Jesus said in, in, uh, in Matthew, in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter, chapter uh, 7, verse 1, it says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way that you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Do not judge and you will not be judged. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. I read the things of judgment that come railing on social media. And I'm like, there's going to be a bolt of lightning hit this guy. Who made this person judge? And lo and behold, you see this same sort of thing. Some politician judges somebody else and then boom! 
the very thing that he was accusing the other person of, he himself, a month later, you know, somebody has dug up a high school yearbook or something. And it's just, it's just right there. In, by your standard of measure, you want to hold somebody else to that? Think about your own life. Think about it before you go judging others. That's what the Bible tells you. The Bible says in, in Romans chapter 14, verse 4, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Who are you to judge the servant of another? Who are you to judge a person by their color? Or by their ethnicity? Or by the money that they have? Or don't have? When I was a kid, most of the judgment went if a person had no money. Now the whole thing is flipped. If a person has money, they're judged. Abram had money. God chose him. We have to be really careful about our judgment. God can judge. That's his business. Like who died and made him God. Alright? He's God. He can do this type of thing. So it says that he went with all the possessions that he had. And, and, and he wasn't done getting rich. We're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to become a whole lot richer. So he's going to go from the top 1% to the top 0.01%. And God chose him. And more written about Abraham in the Bible than just about anybody else in the whole Bible. Too bad we didn't live long, long ago when God wrote this word so that we could instruct him. Too bad. So it says that in, in verse 5, Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions which they had accumulated and persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was in the land. I want you to see this. It says, it says in verse 5, the end of verse 5, and they set out for the land of Canaan. So God told them where you should go. He just started walking. He says, just go. All right. Start going. Then he says, once he's going, he says, now go to the land of Canaan. He set out not knowing where he was going. Once he set out in obedience to God, God gave him more clarity and said, go to the land of Canaan. All right. Make sure I'm going south because Canaan is south. He says, it is the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. So he went and he did it. Think about that name. Remember, Canaan was the cursed one, the son of Ham that Noah had cursed. We talked about this previously, but many of you were away because it happened sort of over the Christmas break period. Canaan was the child that was cursed, the grandson that was cursed because of what he did to, to Noah. Where did Canaan end up? He didn't end up in Africa. That's a lie. He ended up in this area, present-day Israel, in the land of Canaan. The Canaanites ended up there. It says it right there. They set out to the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Then look at the end of verse 6. Canaanites. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. Could God be more explicit? You want to know where the Canaanites ended up? They ended up right there in Israel, where present-day Israel is. And they ended up getting wiped out. That race of people got wiped out. 
They got wiped out by Israel, and then they ultimately got wiped out in Carthage by the Romans a thousand years later, in about, in about uh, I forget the year, 4-something B.C., 400-something B.C. They, they got totally wiped out. So as they had migrated o- over to that area, and, and then they were totally wiped out. So that's those people. That was the cursed people. They're gone. They're not here anymore. All right? He made it very clear. The Canaanite was still in the land. So Abram was now an alien in the land of promise. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. He says he was an alien in the land. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem, as we had pointed out, Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. Now the Canaanite was in the land. Verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to them who had appeared to him. In verse 7, so, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram. Why? Because he obeyed. He obeyed. He was called to do something. He did it, and the Lord appeared to him. The Lord spoke to him. If you look up in verse 4, it, 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 I'm sorry, in verse, in verse 1, it says, now the Lord said to Abram. The Lord said. Abram obeyed what the Lord said. And then in verse 7, it says, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, He obeyed, and then he got the appearance and the word. When we obey, there is added blessing. When we obey, we see more of God. When we obey, we experience more of God. We disobey, we pull back. When we disobey, we pull back from hearing God. God, where are you? Where I've always been. Where are you? So... He, pull, he, 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 he went closer to the Lord. He did what the Lord called of him. And he, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. When he was up in Haran, he said, You go. There was no promise of a land. No promise. None. Now, there's a promise, but not to Abram, but to his descendants. The promise to Abram will come later. He never says, This land is going to be for you and for your descendants. He says, your descendants will get this land. Nothing about Abram getting it. This is just to your descendants. He's going to end up doing more obedience and more blessing is going to come. But he says, to your descendants. What does this mean to Abram? Remember back up in chapter 11, it says, and Sarai was barren. A single verse. Sarai was barren, period. As clear as can be. His wife was barren. When he sees this, to your descendants I will give this land, it's like, whoa, I'm going to have descendants. Now, I don't think he supposed that Sarai was going to have kids. Because she was 10 years younger than him, so she was 65, maybe she could bear, I don't know. She was really pretty. I mean, Sarai was good looking. You're like, what is he talking about? Because it says it in chapter chapter 13. Alright? We're not there yet. But when I read a woman is really good looking, I tend not to forget that. I mean, it's something I kind of remember. Something guys just, oh, just remember that. And, and um, but it never says that Sarai's going to have it. So for all he knows at this time in history, that he's going to have other wives. 
That's what it may imply. And in fact, in fact, we can see the results of that. But he says, to your descendants, I will give this land. So there's a promise that means a lot to Abram. Right there. He obeys and he gets a promise. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So he, the Lord appears to him and he builds an altar. An altar is where you erect something and you, you, you perform a sacrifice. I thought they weren't supposed to sacrifice on these sort of altars. No, they were supposed to. It wasn't until the tabernacle was built and then all worship was supposed to come through the tabernacle. And then that was what went through the wilderness and then when they built the temple, all worship was supposed to be in the temple. No more altars any other place. But at this time, this is what they did. So now he sets up an altar in his life where he's going to present to the Lord. Verse 8, Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. That's those two cities about half a mile apart, right between them. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called on the name of the Lord. So in other words, it doesn't say the Lord appeared to him there, but he now understood, I'm going to build an altar here, and he called upon the name of the Lord. This is the first public worship of God in that land. He, now he starts going with public worship. He calls publicly upon the name of the Lord. You see the maturation of Abram. You see how he's maturing. He obeys and more comes to him. He obeys and more comes to him. I want you to turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, and we're going to start reading from verse 21. How do we get closer to God? How is that done? How do we show God we love Him? Do we say a thousand hallelujahs and then God's going to love us more? Is that what gets God to love us? What do we do? What do we say to get God to love me more so that He knows I love Him? I want God to know that I love Him. Maybe if I say it a hundred times, then He'll know it. Is that how God knows that I love Him? Let's see what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Whoa. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. We demonstrate our love to God by keeping His commandments, by first having His commandments and then keeping them. How do you get the commandments of Jesus? By reading the Bible. If we do not read, we do not have the commandments of Jesus that we might keep them. We must read the Scriptures... And then we have the commandments, and then we can keep them. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. Wow. I know what that's like. If you love my children, I will love you. There's a few people that have been very good to my children. Very good to my children. There's a man named uh, Mr. Skip McBride. He's been very good to my children. He hired my daughter when she came out of law school and needed a job. And he trained her and taught her in his law firm. He hired my son when he was looking for a job in high school and he was looking for it in, in, in the uh, investing sector because he also has a business on high-frequency trading. So he let my son, a high school kid, come into his company and he paid him as if a high school kid is going to help him in his high-frequency trading business. No, he did that because he loved my child 
And that says something to me. I will always love Mr. Skip McBride for what he has done for my children. You want me to love you, you be good to my children. The same thing with God. If you obey His Son, do something good for His Son, the Father will love you. This is how we garner the love of the Father. We obey the Son. We obey the Son. And this is why we worship the Son and we praise Him. And it's not like the Father's in competition for the praise. Not at all. I will tell you, what blesses me more is when my children get praise. Much more than when I get praise. Because when I get praise, I'm like, if you only knew how stinky I really am in my own heart, you wouldn't be saying this about me. You know, I did just get this... I don't, I don't know if you've ever felt that. Somebody says, wow, you're really great. You go, yeah, I know. Or do you say in your heart, I just had a real blow up this morning. If you had only seen me then, you wouldn't think I'm so great. This happens to me all the time. But if you, but when my children are praised, I get so happy. My son Ben did something good at, at, at his work and he said, you know, the bosses were so pleased for two weeks. He was just gone constantly building this, this, big, this big presentation. And, and he said, my bosses said they couldn't find a single mathematical error in the whole analysis. And all the bosses were coming in and giving me high fives. And I kept saying to him, Ben, tell me that again. <laughs> when my son gets praised, I like it more than when I get praised. It's like when you see your son's name, your child's name in the paper. You like it more than when your own name's in the paper. That's what it is with Jesus. We love Him. We worship Him. And it makes the Father very happy. This is why He has set up His Son there. You can worship the Father. But He set up His Son there. It doesn't bother Him. He's blessed by this. He says... He who has my commandments, John 14, 21, and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Jesus will disclose himself to us if we keep his commandments. Keep his commandments and we get more of him. Exactly what we saw with Abram. We keep the commandments of God and now God appears to him. We keep the commandments of Jesus He discloses Himself to us. We have greater fellowship with Him. We shun His commandments. We are the ones who pull back. We move further away. Like in the great divorce by by C.S. Lewis. Those who didn't obey, they themselves moved further away from the kingdom of God. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our abode with him. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He said it again. This is how we demonstrate love for God. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And the result is, my father will love him. My father gets happy when you keep my word. The father is like, keep my son's word. Keep his word. What he told you, do it. What he said, do it. 
And we will come to Him. Who's the we in this context? It's Jesus and His Father. And we will come to Him and we will make our abode with Him. He will move into your home and into your life. You want to bring blessing into your home? You want to call down blessing into your life? Keep the commandments of Jesus. But you have to have the commandments of Jesus, which means you have to be in His Word. Abram set up an altar. He set it up. God had not appeared to him when he was between Ai and Bethel. He just went there and he set up an altar and he called on the name of the Lord. Remember, it was when he was, he was uh, uh, further north that God had appeared to him. He's traveling south and he says, whether God speaks to me or not, I'm setting up an altar here. You take your Bible and you make it a part of your daily life. And when I say daily, I mean daily. And if you're too busy for that, then you're too busy. Change your lifestyle. You wake up in the morning and you spend time with the Lord. You read your Bible. You say, Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. If I could leave you with one thing during your time in the university, is to learn how to have a personal time of fellowship with the Lord where you have that altar. I'm not asking you to set up a family altar. You don't have families yet. I'm, just take care of yourself right now. You do this with your own self. And then when you get married, you bring that into your marriage. Because if you think that, well, now I'll set up a family altar when I get married, you lie to yourself. It's much harder when you have to set it up as a family with kids running everywhere and changing diapers and all of this. You just get it right with yourself right now. You learn to set up an altar. Whether you hear God or not that morning, you set up an altar. And you open up His Word and you say, Lord, begin to teach me. How do I read the Bible? I don't know how to do it. Well, how about turning to page one and read? And then when you get done, starting on page two the next day. You don't have to read a chapter a day. If God wanted us to read a chapter a day, He told us, read a chapter a day. He never told us. You read as however far you can read that the Lord's speaking to you. He's going to stop your eyes. You say, Lord, speak to me as I read this text. Speak to me. And He'll begin to speak to you. From the Bible, he begin to speak to you. Your eyes will get stopped on one verse. Like, Are you saying something to me, Lord? And just your eyes get, keep going back to one little portion. Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me through this. Are you speaking to me, Lord? Speak to me. All of a sudden, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to minister to you. This is the richness that flows. This is the abode of God in your life. And you will find him speaking into direct things in your life direct problems that you have, bring it to the cross, bring it to Him, and have Him speak into your life about it. And you will come out of there like a roaring lion. The wicked flee when no one is pursuing. You go in there like a wimp. But the righteous are as bold as a lion. When God fills you, you can take on the day. Remember, you are a believer in Christ because you are weak, not because you are strong. The Bible tells us that. I've chosen the weak things of the world and the, the despised. I've chosen the things that are not, that I might nullify the things that, that are. If you are in Christ, you are the weak of the world. There are few exceptions to that. There are exceptions, but only a few. Basically, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. The base things of the world and the despised He has chosen. That He might nullify the things that are. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
That's what God has chosen. So in our weakness, we seek Him. And then He makes our abode with us. I encourage you, learn to pick up the Scriptures every day and make it a part of your life. Make it a part of your life. If you've not been doing that, you need to get alone with the Lord and have an altar time and beat your breast and say, Lord, forgive me because I have been a sinner. Forgive me. And guess what's going to happen? His forgiveness comes. I have never known anyone to say that they've gone to Jesus for, for forgiveness and Jesus has not forgiven them. I've never known anyone to say that because His forgiveness is so rich. Come to Him. Let Him work in your life. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank you so much for your word. Your word is precious and true. Glory be to our Lord Jesus Christ, the sweetest name in the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for these young people that they take hold of your word and they build an altar in their lives like Abram did. And that they would take your word and make it a part of their lives so they'd know what to obey. And then as they obey, teach them more and bring them closer. Father, your work and your ministry in their lives, I pray. For the glory of Jesus and in his name. And Lord, also for the unbelievers here. Father, please open up their hearts. They're without any strength to follow anything that I've talked about today. Until they say, Lord, forgive me because I'm a sinner and come into my life. Forgive me because I'm a sinner, that they too might have Jesus in their lives. And I commit this to you, my Lord, for your glory. Amen.